Hey guys, how you doing? I'm here with Harris Markson, a true definition of multi-hyphenate. Uh, he's an actor, he's a producer, he's a writer, he's an improvist, he's a stop animation creator. Did I say voiceover artist yet? No. Father, teammate, leader, captain. I've known him since I was 17, so it's 2004. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's an honor to be here. Dude, I, I, I love you so much. You're truly one of the best people I know. Um, I was telling this to Anastasia, your wife, the other day. I was like, what I've noticed about people who grew up with like both parents in the house and they're good parents uh-huh. is that... Not that you guys don't have your shit to work on like everybody does in life, but what I've noticed is those, my friends, like you, Griff, Anastasia, Anton, who all fall into that category, have always had a good sense of yourself. That's you an know, interesting... You weren't like uh, waffling or like a flag in the wind, you know? You guys really knew, not to say you didn't grow and evolve, but you knew who you were. That's a That's a very interesting way to put it. Yeah, I think... I've thought about that a lot over the years. And it's like you're saying, it's not like we don't have shit to work on, but I, I feel like yeah, of the way, the way you put it waffling in the wind is, is nice because even when you feel like you're waving in the wind and you're getting blown around, I feel like I did have a strong base and there are to continue the metaphor. If this is a tree where I'm, I have good solid roots. So when you're getting blown around at, at least you're, mm. you feel more, I guess, attached to the ground. If, if that makes any sense. And that, yeah. it's, that's also just a, a, a nice, yeah, it totally makes sense to me. It's a nice thing to hear. I, I cause I do, I do feel that. And I, mm. I feel very grateful and, yeah, just just filled with gratitude that that is the the upbringing that I had because I, you know, it's not it's not a given. It's not something to take for granted at all. That's a good way to. I like that you said it. it's not given. Like it's yeah. not a given because I've noticed something in our industry. It's like, and I've been a part of this for sure, but it's like. As an artist, you need to be ashamed of your privileges or ashamed of, like, the good things going on. Like, I had a good family. I better not talk about it. Or I have to make some money. I better not talk about it. Oh, I think that's... like, no, these are actually good examples people should hear. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a a huge, huge thing that I keep coming back to because there's the idea of the starving artist and you have to struggle for your art and yeah you do have to make sacrifices and it, it is a struggle to be an artist that's that's just it's it's very very hard but uh you don't have to have come from a horrible 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 background to be to be an artist and not to I don't know. It's it's uh, we we actually had you and I had an ad acting teacher years ago, Tony Savant, who I remember saying mm-hmm. on multiple times when someone would bring up some 
idea of being a starving, struggling artist. And he would be like, you cannot create art. You cannot be an actor if you do not have a roof over your head and a bed to sleep in and your <laughs> stomach is That's full right. and you're hydrated right. and you're eating and you're yeah. in a good place. You yeah. can't, you can't do yeah. it. You're going to burn yourself out. And yeah. I just remember yeah. hearing that and it really struck a chord with me like, Oh, I have this like romantic idea of what it is to be an artist. And it's, it's just not helpful at all. You can't, you can't, do what you want to do totally. if you're if you're worried about making rent which we're all worried about making rent you can't you can't mm -hmm. bring your full self to a project if you're hung hungry you know like you have to if you're not well slept or you're not well rested it, and it's not to say also especially like when it's like no, especially when you're like consecutive, right? Like right. if you're living your life, and that's you're constantly exhausted. You're constantly undernourished. Right. Like some people get their break in that spot, but to continue the romantic, the romanticism of yeah, of the course, fucked up artists. Right. And yeah. like, like we have friends who slept in their cars, and we have. I've mm -hmm. I've slept on people's couches. You you've slept on people's couches. Like yep. it, it's Same. it's not to say that that's not a part of the journey, but to I think the point I'm trying to make is that's not what you should be striving for. Like you shouldn't be striving to be a starving, mm -hmm. struggling artist. You should be striving yeah. to be yeah. a well-fed, well-rested <laughs> artist so that your art can be that much better. Yeah. Yeah, and also it's like a good example. Like you're also setting a good example, right? That's what I've noticed is like when I try to hide, like I used to have shame if my dad ever helped me out financially, which happened oh. occasionally over the years. Oh, yeah. And I'd have shame and I'm like, wait, like this is a good thing to talk about because parents are supposed to help and he did help me and it's okay to say that. Yeah, I had, you know, I had a, a ton of help from my parents. I get help from my parents. Like, they're there. And that, like you're saying, that's not something to be ashamed of. That should be something to be proud of. And then there's also the flip side of it is you certainly shouldn't rely on that. And you shouldn't, again, take it for yeah. granted. And there, there is another aspect of that of where you're kind of, exploiting the privileges that you've been given and not That's right. not recognizing you're how you're not working hard yeah you're not working yeah, hard you're not grateful. yeah it's tough not putting yourself in a position to continue working hard and you're just kind of riding on that train that your uh situation has given you then then that that can lead to a different different problems and it's easy to be lazy. Mm -hmm. It's very, very easy well, to be because lazy. Some, and I think statistically it's been proven that filmmaking is the most like instantly lucrative or one of now that crypto's around or had been, but 
Like, you couldn't get rich quicker without an education than in entertainment. So if all of a sudden you're getting helped and you're like, that's all you were actually after was to be safe, not to be an artist, but you saw the artist's path was potentially the quickest way to safety. Well, that's why you take your foot off the gas because you're like, well, I already got the thing I wanted. I don't need to be an artist, really. But, like, clearly we fucking love it. So yeah. help or no help, we're doing it. Yeah, well, that that is nice. The, the help is <laughs> the help is very nice, and I mean, I can tell you firsthand now. My son is going to be two in May, and I'll fucking run through a wall for him. I'll you know I'll do anything I can to help him, and I obviously I understood that intellectually that my parents wanted to help. But now being on the other side of it, it's like, Oh, they, all they want to do is help that. All they want to do is help you and put you in the best possible Mm -hmm. position. Again, I'm speaking from personal and I, I know that not everyone is in that same situation with their parents, but if you are lucky enough, it's okay to let your parents help you. That sure. It's it's not a sign of weakness. It's not. Yeah. It's not taking away from your struggle as an artist. It's. It's no. just yeah. You still have to show up and deliver. Yes. Yes. You still have to be good. You still have like, to be good. You still have to be sharp. Doesn't guarantee you anything except room shelter. Yeah. Yeah. You still have to be yeah, sharp. 100%. You still have to be so in your you're practice. From- Go ahead. Fuck yeah. You're 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 from Denver. Mm-hmm. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about that experience growing up? Like, what's your relationship to the city? Uh, how'd you find your art as you grew up too? Like, when did it occur to you that, "Hey, I might try and do this for a living?" So, uh yeah, I grew up in Denver, Colorado. I was born I like to say at the foot of the Rocky Mountains, uh, Mile High City, baby. Um, I absolutely love Denver. I love Colorado. I miss it. I miss it constantly. I still have a lot of family there. My parents are there. My brother, his wife and kids are there. My cousins are there. I I, I have a lot of uh, connections still to Colorado. I love Colorado. I love hiking, being outdoors. Um, go Nuggets, baby. We're gonna go to the finals. Um, <laughs> yeah. I uh, my connection to art. That's a really good question. So I, I, I honestly, I think it started just in our backyard, in our basement. My brother and I and our friends would come over, and we would just, we would like spend our playdates putting together plays and rehearsing plays and then force our parents to watch them at the end of the day. And I can only imagine what it was like for them. Like, Oh my God, we have to sit through another one of these, but it, I, I don't know really what sparked that other than my mom is really into storytelling and art and creating and really instilled that in my brother and I from a very young age. And 
we just loved playing make-believe with our friends, but then, like, putting that together into something that we could show later on. And then I did a lot of, I think my parents recognized that and put me in a lot of, like, community theater plays during the summer. Um, I did school plays, um, did theater all through high school. Um, and then I, I, I remember there was, didn't you shave your head? Oh yeah. Didn't you shave your head once? And for a high school production of, uh, Androcles and the lion. I was a, what was, I was some type of, (laughs) my my character's name was Ferovius. I remember that I was like a warrior who had been thrown to the lions and I was leading a rebellion. And Ferovius. I love it. And like up to this up to this so this is my this is my senior year of high school. Up to this point, I've been a very quiet, very shy, uh not really outgoing at all. You know, I had friends, I wasn't like a shut in or anything, but I not not very loud, I'll say that. So I had been I'd played sports and that was really how I kind of got my aggression out and all of that as a high school teenage boy. Um and I had done a couple of theater productions through my high school over the years and had small parts and hadn't really gotten anything substantial and it was my senior year and we were doing this fall show and I I don't know it's one of those things were I don't know where the spark came but I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna audition for this fucking crazy ass warrior guy who's yelling and leading a rebellion and just not my demeanor at all um I auditioned for it and I I don't know my the director Melody Duggan was just she saw something and she saw something in me and she gave me the part and it was it was a turning point for me because someone had seen something in me that I didn't necessarily see in myself and I didn't know what I was capable of but she kind of gave me that push and we're rehearsing spend a couple of weeks Mm. rehearsing and it's going well and the opening night of the show so we have school we're like selling tickets for the like week or so beforehand selling tickets trying to get people to come to see our show it's opening night uh i finished the school day and instead of going home in between um rehearsal and the opening night i went to a barber i told him without telling anyone without telling the director i didn't tell anyone that i was doing this i went to a barber i was like i need you to bick bick my head I want to be bald, Q-top, <laughs> like the Mr. Oh Clean. God, your head must have been so white. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> How and shaggy was your hair at this time? Because you're pretty, known for some legendary hair. Yeah, it was pretty long. <laughs> it was pretty long. And the guy was like, are you sure? Are you sure? And I was like, yes, shave it all off. I want it gone. 
and <laughs> I went. I love it. I stopped by my house on the way to the school to like pick up my costume and stuff. And my mom and my brother were home, and I walk in, and they just start screaming, like, what? Just terrified them. Like, who is this bald man walking into our house? Um, and went to do the show that night, and it was one of those things where it all came together, where you, you can talk about trying to find a character from the outside in or the inside out, and all those technical ways to find a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was an example of, like, obviously I had done the work up to that point in rehearsals and had a pretty good grasp of how I mm-hmm. wanted to play the character. But then the physical act of shaving my head sparked something infinitely greater than I, like, again, thought I would be capable of. And it, it, kind of transformed mm. the performance and it was just this thing where people you know it's like you're a high schooler and you're in class the next day and people are coming up to you like man that was crazy you're i had no idea like oh it's like maybe this is something it's, you start feeling so good like no one mm. has come up to me and told me anything before in high school like I, uh, these mm. people girls Guys, like it didn't, it wasn't necessarily about that. It was just people were coming up to me and complimenting me in a way that had never happened before. I was like, this is really. It was sort of landing the other half of that exchange. Yes, yes. Like, you're like, oh, I feel good. And And, they're telling me it's good. And I'm getting validation. Like, landed the whole thing. Exactly, exactly. I'm getting validation for it. And then. Later on, at the end of the year, we had, we had like a, a very very good theater department, um, and we had a we had a couple shows throughout the year. So there's like a an award show at the end of the year, which who knows if that was a good idea for high schoolers. But I was nominated for sure. an award, and I was like, oh man, I got this, I got this. That was like. I remember all the compliments. I remember how good I felt. Like, I got this. And I lost. I lost to this sophomore kid who played the Tin Man in our production of The Wiz that spring. Um, and it was very good, obviously. And But it was this moment of like, Oh, you definitely, you definitely let go of it. You yeah, know. yeah. And I was so upset. It's just like so dramatic. And my director again pulled me aside later that night. It's like, don't let this discourage you. This is not what it's about. It's not about getting the recognition at the end of the year. It's about that feeling you had and use your voice. You have a voice. You have a very strong voice. And I remember that's another one of those moments where it's like, ah, that was, that was probably the singular greatest, at least in terms of my artistic path, that was the singular greatest moment in my, up to that point in my life. Because this person that I greatly respected and put on these amazing shows pulled me aside and told me like, you're on to something here. Keep following it. Use your voice and just just follow that path there is something there 
Um, and it was one of those, like, I don't know, it was just a magical moment. And then, of course, I went to college for four years and didn't do any theater. And, as you know, that's how we met. We met playing rugby in college, and that was a whole different experience. But after those four years, it was that thing that was just in the back of my head the whole time. Like, I, I love playing rugby. I love playing sports. But there's this other thing that I'm not doing that I keep I keep thinking about I keep wanting to explore that and to kind of answer your question earlier like when did I think that this is something that I could make a living at it was that never occurred to me until probably we graduated from college like this it's this is a fun thing this is a the thing you do in your basement or the backyard with your friends, it community theater. It was never, never, mm. never, never crossed my mind that this is actually something you could make a, your living at. And looking back, that's such a funny thing. Like you watch TV, you watch movies all growing up. Like where are these people coming from? They're making a living at this thing. It just doesn't seem real. You know? Um, Fuck! It's a, it's pl- it's like Planet Neptune, man. I totally understand that. Yeah. When did it, when did it get real? When did it get real for you? Like, cause I I think about my move to LA, and I remember being in college and being like, oh, like, I guess I have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, like I've been saying I'm gonna do it. I want to do it. Uh huh. But. Okay, now what does that actually look like? You know, because it was sort of like no path. I went to Europe, and then we were obviously in communication, and we're like, let's try and land this October 2008. And we found that place in Burbank. But what was your experience like? Do you ever second get? Because I think sometimes my naivete uh, is the reason I moved. Oh, I didn't know better. 100%. <laughs> to do it. 100%. <laughs> I, I look back on those couple of months, and I don't know what the fuck we were thinking. It was such a wild, wild move. <laughs> and we didn't really, like, we were telling people, like, we're going to move to Los Angeles. We're going to go to Hollywood and be actors. Yeah. And I, looking back, I could picture people being like, what the fuck? Because... Our, yeah. At least our college buddies knew us as <laughs> rugby players. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah. what? Yeah. Sean and Harris People are... did tell me what the fuck. Yeah. Like, Sean and Harris are going to go to Los Angeles and be actors. Okay. Yeah. Good luck with that, guys. Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah. I don't... Uh, naivete <laughs> is a great way to put it because I don't... I don't think I was thinking. I think it was just kind of following this weird whimsical thing of we're gonna just we're yeah we're gonna go to los angeles and be actors why not i at at one point at college i i thought i was gonna apply for law school and you know go be a lawyer and i remember this is another one of those moments this is another one of those those moments i was in a legal writing class you might have even been in this class with me uh it was just like all about writing legal briefs. And at one point the professor said, 
like, all right, the key to writing legal briefs is to take yourself out of the writing. Take your creativity out of the writing. You have to just strip it all down. I remember one of those kind of eureka moments. That is the exact opposite of what I want. <laughs> I want to put as much for you. as much creativity in my writing. But it wasn't until that moment that I realized that, like, oh, mm. this is not for me. And God bless you if this is for you, but this is not, this is not for me. Um, I need to do something else. And the creative, the creative gods, wherever they are, kept kind of like pulling me in that direction. And I think I spent quite a bit of time, at least in college, kind of ignoring that pull. And again, like I, I don't regret college at all I, I think we had a great experience playing four years of no. collegiate collegiate rugby and i think that's that's an experience that they can bring to your creative life that not a lot of people can so i i you know it, it's that's the subtle thing of everything works out everything happens for a reason and it was just that moment towards the end of college where i kind of realized like i miss being creative i miss acting i miss i miss all of that and i want to go do that and again i i don't know how we ended up in la but something pushed us in that direction no it's wild it, w it was as if we were just like kicked out yeah. of a plane and landed in la like yeah we're here um yeah like yeah. Like, fucking bewildering, you know? In 2008, the internet wasn't what it was. Like, no. I think Westside Rentals wasn't even a thing. No, know? I remember... It was pretty amazing, man. Do you remember... I There was... It was our first couple months in L.A., and we had signed up for, you know, central casting to be extras and a bunch of crap. <laughs> and it was yeah. before Google Maps. It was before GPS like I didn't have a GPS in my car so you had to like have one of those Thomas guides or print out the directions beforehand yeah. and yeah. I got so yeah. lost driving through downtown LA trying to find this <laughs> set to go be on like Samantha who or something and I remember I think I called I called you and I was like you need to log on to MapQuest and tell me where I am, because I have no idea where I am. And I ended up missing the day. I'm missing the, the call time. And in my head, I start spiraling. Oh, my God, I'm going to be blacklisted from Hollywood because I missed this extra job. I'm never going to work in this yeah. town. Like, and I'm like... Who cares? But, yeah, but uh, yeah, it was it was it was yeah. the end of the world. I know, but that's what you think. Yeah. 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 And you also, I mean, to your credit, you also care about being on time and being a professional. So, you know, I'm sure yeah. that was weighing on you as well. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right on. Right on. So we're in L.A. now. We are in uh, L.A. We, our, fir our first school we went to was Weast Baron Hill on Magnolia, <laughs> if you remember. And then <laughs> Oh, I remember. Oh, I remember. I think it's still there. Is Lyle, yeah, uh, the building's still there. I think it's changed or it's improved, but Lyle, the owner, you know, God bless him. I'm sure he's with God now, but he fucking would fall asleep. 
I during was, scenes, like the teacher when we fall asleep. I was just thinking about that. We would look over, and there would be a scene going on, and he would just be head nodding back and forth, just eyes closed, snoring. Like, what is happening right now? Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah, that was dude. our... I remember I won... That... You go ahead. I was just, that was our first experience of acting class in Los Angeles. That was... That was wild. I, I think you, I dude. Think, I remember I won uh, the the headshots and oh yeah. He, do you remember those headshots? That's from Lyle's studio, bro. Uh, and I, I think you got some too. I did with the Be- same guy and ended up like in his Los Feliz apartment, all sweaty. Yeah. Oh, that was so weird. <laughs> he would like make you look away from the camera. And then would shout at you to look at the camera, and with a like you just ended <laughs> yeah. up looking so surprised. What did you What did you win the yeah. headshots for? What was your What was your uh, competition? Do you remember? I forget, but wasn't yours best sneeze? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was best sneeze. Because he was like, and it was a great sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> Sorry if I just blew out your mic. Uh, it was, oh, he w- his justification was like, you need to be able to sneeze on camera for a commercial. You got to be able to sneeze. You got to make it look real. You got to be selling cough medicine. You got to make it look real. And in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, 100%. this is, this is great acting. <laughs> it's great acting. Uh, uh, wow. I've never seen a sneeze in a movie, or you know, it's like the most useless piece. No. But we but found it, Playoffs West from there. Yes, we did. I th- I think it was like. And what was? Your... No, no go, you ahead. go ahead, brother. I'm, I think I think we're on a little bit of a delay. If you can't tell, so uh, I'm not sure why. It usually never is delayed, but. Uh, I just want to know your overall experience of Playhouse. Like, um, what's your in a nutshell about Playhouse? I absolutely loved Playhouse West, and I I credit a lot of where we are and our journey here in Los Angeles to my time at Playhouse West. Uh, some of the best teachers. I've ever had Holly Gagne, Tony Savant, I mentioned earlier. Uh, Jim Neeb introduced us mm-hmm. to improv, and that that is another one of those moments where the whole just this the world opened up. My when I like I I, I grew up watching Whose Line Is It Anyway, and we'd play improv games and acting classes here and there. But it was that really introduction to improv comedy and the performance of it and doing shows that really just opened up a lot for me. And it changed, it really it sounds dramatic, but it changed my life, at least artistically and creatively. And then the the Meisner te- technique <clears throat> at Playoffs West is another moment where it just, it all kind of started clicking and it became this thing of this is actually something that you can put a lot of time and effort into and you're constantly going to be working on it and it's never going to be perfect 
you're never going to perfect it. And you, there's mm-hmm. always, always, always something to keep working on. Um, that work ethic and that that idea of acting as a craft that you can t- continually work on, uh, I got from Playhouse West. Um, and then I think it was time to go when we got when we left. I think there's something to not staying in one place for too long. But I, I'm eternally grateful for Playhouse West. It was an incredible experience. And it's one of the cheapest acting schools and we should. in L.A. <clears throat> oh, hell yeah. And um, we, we also, to our credit, showed the fuck up, you know. And I remember early on in beginning, Holly <clears throat> did that exercise where she was like, Raise your hand if you played high school sports. And, like, 75% of the class raised their hand. And she was like, okay, she called on a few students randomly. How often did you practice and play? Five to six days a week, two hours a day, you know, lots of answers. She's like, okay, out of those, who went to college for that sport or for sports? And it was like me and you raised our hands. Mm -hmm. And she asked the same questions. And she was like, okay, now back to everybody. Did anybody plan on going pro in any of those sports you played? And everybody said, no, all the hands stayed down. And she looked at us and said, you expect to go pro while practicing worse than an amateur. Mm -hmm. And I just, that always stuck with us or with me. And I know you and I are cut from the same cloth in that regard. Yeah. So we showed up and we got lucky because we found Gibbon's tail yeah. And, you know, just to put this out there, Harris is always a leader, like, you know, either emotionally, spiritually, or literally like the captain of the group. So what was your experience with Gibbons Tale as insofar as you can start, you can go anywhere, you can talk about the creation of it, the sketch portion, and then I definitely want to touch base on improv as well. Well, improv is is just, it was the best best thing that we had going for i think we had that show going for seven years um a weekly improv show in the valley which doesn't sound like much but it was incredible Uh, we would have standing room only shows some nights and that was um, was a a magical experience uh but so gibbons tale initially started uh have you talked to gabe yeah. Um, so Gabe Greer put out just like this mass email to a bunch of people at Playhouse West saying, hey, I want to put together a sketch comedy group. If you're interested, here are some meeting times where we can all get together and bounce some ideas off of each other. I think initially there were like... 40 people that responded we had to have two or three separate meetings during the week so we could accommodate everyone's schedule Mm -hmm. um and i responded yes just because it sounded like a fun thing to do i had never really done any sort of sketch comedy thing before um and i didn't even really know gabe that well at that point but i had known him from like rehearsal classes at playhouse and i knew he was 
one really good, a really good actor, and seemed like a cool dude. And he was from Colorado, so I think we had that vibe going for us. Um, he and he he kind of spearheaded that whole thing, and it eventually sort of super long story short, eventually started dwindling down to those who were actually committed and wanted to do something, wanted to make something. Um, and we would, we would just, again, it, I think the naivete of it all is a really big thing. And I don't know how to, I don't know how you can, capture that it's just you have to be young and dumb almost to get started because as soon as you start knowing what you're supposed to be doing you stop you stop a lot of the creativity because we were literally just flying by the seat of our pants we really had no idea what we were doing we had people learning how to use the camera we had people learning how to use uh final cut to edit our shorts we had people learning how to write none of us were writers and to have something to shoot we needed something to shoot so you someone would need to write a script so we all kind of taught ourselves how to write comedy write scripts um we taught ourselves how to shoot how to be cinematographers how to act on camera uh because to all of Playhouse West's credit, it's not mm -hmm. an on-camera acting school. It's completely almost two different animals. So we had to teach ourselves that. We had to learn how to direct. We had to... We, it was like we put ourselves through a film school taught by people who didn't know what they were doing. And it, I think it ended up being <laughs> pretty, pretty... a great, incredible experience because we learned so much it was trial by fire and a lot of those sketches i never want to see again <laughs> they are uh i don't think they're great i don't think a lot of them were great but you have to uh, it's there's so many of these like cliche sayings but and i don't even know where i first heard it but it's like that idea of just throwing shit at the wall see what sticks you have to you have to make bad stuff to get to the good stuff. And I think a lot of people stop mm -hmm. in fear of making the bad stuff. It's a constant fear. You're constantly afraid of making something bad. Even though we've now been out here 15 years, you're constantly afraid of, this is going to suck. This is going to be shitty. I'm going to feel bad about this. And I think that's a big, big thing. And then, at least at the beginning, the naivete is not knowing when you're making something bad so you can just kind of power through it and now with experience it's like all right well this is not good but you have to keep pushing through to get to the good to make it good to have something to mold into something good um so yeah gibbons tale was an incredible experience and then that from that sketch comedy group we there's a kind of core group of us that had met doing the improv classes at Playhouse. Um, and we started, we were doing shows that Jim Neeb would put on uh, at Playhouse. And 
we kind of formed our own group out of that, started performing as Gibbons Tale, doing improv, uh, eventually started hosting our own show at Playhouse on Tuesday nights in the Valley, uh, 10 p.m. if I'm not mistaken. Um, and we would bring in guest teams from all across L.A. And I think, and you can speak to this too, I, I think one of the consistent things we heard which was the best compliment I ever got with those shows was from the other teams saying, this is the best improv show we've done in LA. And it was, it was, I think it was because there's a lot of reasons and it's not like to toot our own horn, but because Playhouse West is not a comedy school, a lot of the audiences were these very dramatic Meisner actors who were just like, whoa, just kind of blown away by improv comedy. And it was, and it grew from there. And then the audiences would grow and grow and grow. And anyone who has done improv in Los Angeles can tell you, it is not common to get any sort of audience beyond the other team that's performing that night you're essentially switching off being the audience for each other at most improv shows. And it can become very, very discouraging. Uh, So the fact that there were crowds at this free improv show in North Hollywood at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday night for seven years straight was, I remember even in the moment thinking like, this is pretty fucking cool. And man, that was Mm -hmm. that. And that, on top of all of that, on a weekly basis, we could just get up there with no stakes and just experiment and play and create. And we had such a shorthand with each other that it became such a cool thing where we were, I don't know, it's almost like a band that's been playing together forever and we could just, you can just riff. We could just riff in any direction and we'd have each other's backs and just go. And it was it was awesome. It really, it really is. I miss it. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I've performed. I've performed a few times recently, at jams, and you know, I could still, I could still throw a yes and around. And uh, I'm wondering how to. I know there's a second coming of it for us. I don't know what it looks like or what form it's in yet, um, but I do. I I know I'm gonna play again consistently. I just don't know how that looks, um, so I'll put that out there. But yeah, it was. Um, I mean, improv's like the secret weapon. Yes. Of your training, you know, like it makes you so directable. It's homeworkless. Like mm-hmm. you have to work on it hard, but. There's like not homework in a sense. You know, it's like almost with a script analysis class, you're gonna go home and read your script. Right. It's almost like the homework with improv is just it's, it's almost just living life. You just read and watch movies yeah. and live life, experience things mm-hmm. so that you have more and more stuff to pull from. It's and it really yeah, I think hundred percent. The calling it the secret weapon is so true because it it unlocks this playfulness that you can you can lose if you're taking it if you're taking acting too seriously 
Um, you want to be able to play and have fun, even if it's a super dramatic thing. You're still playing. Holly, going back to playoffs, would always say it's a play, not a drag. And I think about that all the time. Um, mm-hmm. That's true. And, and to your point of being directable, it's it it unlocks something in your brain where if you get a note on set from a director, it's you can think of it as, oh, let's try it this way, rather than, oh, you did something wrong, and I want you to do it right. It's, oh, this was a fun way to do it. Let's try this direction. And it makes you so much more open to trying different things on set because you you can take your ego out of, oh, my choice was wrong, and now I have to just, like, go stew on that. Oh, that was one way to do it, and here's a million other ways to do it, and let's just try. 100%, and, like, even, like, short-form games, like, new choice. Like, where you're literally being forced to come up with a brand-new choice on the spot. Like, that is note-taking as an actor. Like, you're mm-hmm. practicing the... Oh, I was fully committed to this choice. Now I got to make this one on the fucking spot mm-hmm. and be good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's excellent for that as well. I've noticed, um, really listening, you know, because like that's what I really notice nowadays. I go down to West Side Comedy and I watch my girlfriend, and this has probably always been the case, but most people just aren't listening. They're yeah. waiting to get their joke out. Yeah. But, like, my favorite improv to watch and be a part of, and this is the way I look at it and the way I teach it, is, like, and people always get fucking hung up. They're like, but what about characters? And I'm like, well, if your character's in your truth, then the lesson still applies here. And basically, if you, you try and come into the scenes, especially the first three scenes, like, neutral, and you want to be honest in your neutrality as best as you can. Because if you force it, then it's like, well, everybody sees it. And now it's kind of got that forced nature energy to it. Right. But inherently, you're human and you're going to make a mistake or inadvertently say something. And then that should stick out like a sore thumb because everything else has been neutral. Right. But what people do is they come and whack you with jokes so it looks like this, and it's like, well, where's the weird thing to kind of tilt this right. world with? And right. uh, that's been good because uh, that's good to know. It's like knowing your genre of the show or something you're doing in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think that's a great point. It, it, it allows you to have this kind of canvas where the odd thing does stand out, where your your truth is the ground level and then it can just it can stand out from there and if you're if you're immediately wacky with no grounding then it's there's there's no ground to stand on um it's just that's right that's right then there's no rules then nothing matters and yeah you know like like it's funny like structure and discipline actually creates freedom Mm-hmm. Because then you have the like the audience wants to know the rules too, right? And if we're not giving them the clear rules, then they're kind of like, well, because that's kind of what happens. I've <clears> noticed <throat> when people start improving scenes in movies like comedies, and they're just kind of like improvising, 
Like, who can get the funniest line out? And I'm talking at the highest level, like the Kevin Hart level. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's good. It's decent improv, but it's not good improv towards the story that's been set. Yeah. Like, instead, they're doing the funniest bit they can instead of improvising the funniest bit they can that makes sense in the storyline. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's a skill. It's hard. I think that's a... Especially, like, if your whole idea of improv is the bloopers at the end of a Judd Apatow movie, then it's, that's just, that's, that's not, that's not what improv is. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, like, even, you'll hear people, if you listen to interviews with Anthony Hopkins and some very established, very dramatic actors, it, they'll talk about improvisation as well. It's not all towards, like, wacky comedy. It's... It's, again, that idea, especially in rehearsal, of being open to any idea and in whatever direction it may go and not being so rigid in your choices that you can't adjust. Um, and then a lot of it is the improvisation in rehearsals leads to the final product, and it's not necessarily improvising in the final scene that's actually being filmed but that is a product of improvisation getting to that point. Like, okay, this is the direction we want to take this scene. Um, and then of course, in the moment, still mm -hmm. being, being open to your partner and open to the situation to adjust in the moment as well. Um, yeah, it's almost, it's almost like the idea of improv comedy ruins improv because if you're trying to be funny then it it just mm -hmm. leads you down a, a path where everyone can feel you trying to be funny and no one likes the feeling of watching someone trying and failing to be funny it's very uncomfortable well what i realized is um and you're absolutely right to my to my experience at least is that uh, i was really able to parallel um, emotion with sales because I have done sales jobs as side jobs in my life and I started seeing like when you're trying to be funny or trying to be mad or emotional it's the same thing they say in sales I've heard a high level sales guy tell me this never tell your client or your buyer how to feel about your product so, you, for example, you wouldn't be like, this movie's amazing mm -hmm. if you're trying to, like, sell it. A lot of people do this tactic, and some are even successful. But this guy's approach, which really resonated for me, was when you do that, you've just forced them to feel a way. And if they don't feel it, they really don't feel it. Instead right. of if you're neutral and you just talk about the product, right? So it's the same thing with acting. If I'm trying, if I'm crying and I'm making sure I fucking cry because this is the sad scene, well, I've actually taken, I, I've like pushed the emotional energy out of the audience. Yeah. I actually just took up all the space to cry or I took up all the space to laugh because I forced it in. Right. But if I don't force it, I'm actually leaving space for the audience to kind of return the ball with me. Absolutely. And that's what I learned. Um, um, it's been really helpful. You you've got to the point where you you are literally selling movies, um, which is amazing. What do you think? 
how what kind of conversations have you had with yourself on how to approach selling a movie or selling an idea how without trying to force any emotion what is mm. what is your approach to that <clears throat> you know and the and the term and the the scope of the world i haven't raised like i've raised a million dollars total in my career over a few projects and over the scope of like movie making that's not a ton of money but it is some money and i have been successful so to that degree and i i just was thinking about this recently so that's why i wanted to bring that up before because I've been trying to figure it out because I'm about to do it again, right? Like, right. all right, I'm going out for another round of money. And what I've found to be the most, one, like, peace-bringing, but also successful, and I've heard this corroborated, like that thing we talked about earlier, I feel it, mm -hmm. and also someone out there resonated with it, so it landed the whole piece. Yeah. Is uh, is that I just talk about it with love and potential. So that means, hey, what are you up to these days, right? Someone asking me, I'm like, yo, I have this movie, raising some money, and I'm talking about it like, oh, and this, and and so I'm in love with it. Uh huh. And so if they love it, they might get involved. And so every time I've raised money, and it's been in a totally different way, but I've noticed it's always from a place of love, passion, and commitment. You know, um, not that everything happens in a day. Stocking fields took three years, and that wasn't an every day on my mind always thing. In no. fact, at points, I let it go. Which is also but probably healthy. That's what I noticed is, uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, but there's but, something uh, no it's a good question and that there's something to that that uh kind of going back to what we've been talking about just speaking to a younger generation of actors coming in you can you can apply that same thing to your headshots or your little short film mm. scripts or sketch comedy scripts like if if you don't love it, why is why is anyone else gonna love it? If I don't, I don't. If I don't love my script, and I'm asking you to read it, and I'm saying, "Hey, can you?" Eh, like, what what is that giving the other person? Mm -hmm. That's immediately putting them mm -hmm. in like, well, the one mm -hmm. person who should believe in this doesn't. So why should I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's not to say you should be conceited or anything like that, but you need to find the healthy balance of self-love and loving your uh, your work. Absolutely, man. Like, one time early <laughs> days with my therapist, uh, I remember she, we were talking about this exact thing, and she goes, okay, let's do a little role-playing. She goes, um, pay me a compliment. And I had already, this wasn't like nefarious. Like she's like, give me a compliment. <laughs> I had already told her like, dude, you're saving my life. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like, tell me that again. Uh -huh. Like, tell me that. So I go, Suzanne, like, 
you're truly the best therapist I've ever had. Like, you're saving my life. And she was like, huh, thanks. Right? Mm -hmm. That energy uh -huh. of humble. And then she goes, tell me again. Mm -hmm. And I go, okay, Suzanne, da, da, da. And she goes, thank you. I work really hard at it, and I mm -hmm. love that I get to help you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that. And she's like, it's not a huge difference necessarily, but she's like, if everything's equal, mm -hmm. they're always going to go with the person who had that energy versus this energy over right. here. Right. And I just love that because it's just so, it's fucking true. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the, I think, I, I talk, I think we all go through that of, you get a compliment and you the immediate reaction is to brush it off like, ah, it's it's not true or whatever. But that, if you think about it from the, even the perspective of the person giving you the compliment, if if I'm like, ah, oh, that was such an awesome show. That's right. And the person is dismissive of that. And like, no, 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 no. It immediately makes that person be like, well, am I wrong? Or mm -hmm. it, it, like, okay, mm -hmm. I guess like, fuck me. Um, but if you can just take that compliment yeah. in, like, oh, that was such a great show. Thank you. That makes that person feel validated. Like, mm -hmm. ah, I, that's right. I did see something and it is corroborated. Again, it's this idea of seeing something, feeling something, and then having an external force like back that up. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, psychologically, they say that is. They say that is how you land things. Like I heard in relationships with your partner, if you're like, "Hey, partner." A bad pitch on how I'm about to say this, but you'll get the point. Mm -hmm. Hey, partner, I really like it when you do behavior X because you've been doing behavior Y for years, and actually it doesn't sit right with me. So behavior partner does behavior X, and usually this is what <laughs> happens. Uh, the original partner will be like, finally, see? Like, mm -hmm. this is better, right? Well, that actually just hit them. And the way you're supposed to land it is stop, acknowledge the change, and go, dude, thank you for doing Behavior X. Oh, my God, that helped me so much. Like, I feel it. Thank you. And statistically, now that partner is going to do Behavior X almost forever oh, because yeah. you helped them land it rather than be like, dude, see, like, this is better than Y, right? Oh. Same thing here. Anastasia and I talk about that all the time. We, we've been married for years now and it's it's really we talk about how it is this thing where you constantly have to be working at it it's not something that can just let sit idly this relationship um and it comes down to things like doing the dishes or folding laundry and if if you are feeling like oh this person never does the dishes and they're doing the dishes and you say well finally doing the dishes that makes the other person say, well, it just makes you feel shitty. And other, the other way to approach it is yeah. like, hey, thank you yeah. so much for doing the dishes. That really helped. It just, it's just, it's kinder. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's not as obvious to us because we weren't taught that way. But 
It just makes more sense because you're giving a positive feedback to something instead of, like, basically my decision-making these days as best as I can, I'm human, is does this decision open me to life or close me to life? And I find that almost every decision that opens me to life is a fucking good one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been really helpful because it takes a lot of the headiness away. It's just like, am I opening towards connection and love or am I disconnecting towards righteousness? Have you ever heard that saying, like, do you want to be right or do you want to stay connected? And I just love that because I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm right from my perspective as a yeah. human here on Earth. But that's disconnecting me from my partner or this work or this job. I've, I've, never, I've never heard it put like that, but that is – I love that because it's the – the age-old thing of trying to win the argument. Like, you won the argument, but did you make <laughs> both of you feel shittier by winning the <laughs> argument? Because that's yeah, not... Yeah, lost the war. Yeah. And w- at the end of the day, what does it matter if... Uh, I don't know, I can't... Like, whose who's empty cup is this left yeah. out? By the way, it's usually mine. It's usually my. Yeah. It's usually my empty cup that I left out. Uh, <laughs> it, it's the recognition, especially especially in a relationship, that you are you are teammates. You're on the same size. Anastasia talks about this all the time. Uh, we are on the same team. We're not combating each other. We're not fighting each other. We're not going against each other we're trying our goal is the same so even when we get into arguments or we we have some sort of disagreement it's it's never it never has to feel hostile it's always how can we fix this or how can we make this how can we support each other to get to where we both want to be as a couple as a family so that that really opened my eyes because I'd never heard it described like that. And Anastasia was a big, big proponent of that. It's still all the time talks about we are on the same team. We are our goals are the same. And any sort of disagreement we have, it does never it never has to feel like we're against each other. It's just there's been a, a misunderstanding. Usually it's one person heard something one way and it was not intended that way or there's some sort of resentment building up that hasn't been discussed that needs to be discussed and as long as you can be honest with each other just be honest you're going towards the same thing you're on the same team I love that. I love that because the way I use it is like when I Lish and I talk, it's like we're putting whatever it is here. Uh-huh. We're looking at it like detectives now. Okay, it's not between us. It's this third entity that we're looking at on how to solve and what are yeah. the clues you got and what are the clues I got. Other, otherwise, like, you know, you know how it goes. But uh, yeah, I find that to be really impactful as we wind down here i wanted to chat about like some of uh your professional successes like 
um, Modern Family, like Nine One One, I think Lone Star, mm-hmm. and talk about that, and then want to talk about your experience on Stocking Fields, Richard Peter Johnson. We have about twenty minutes left, so start wherever you want, or you know, go wherever you want. But obviously, those are big. You, I mean, you were on Modern Family when it was like the biggest show on earth. Yeah. And then Lone Star Nine One One is like one of these shows that's like been serialized, like almost like a Law and Order. Like mm-hmm. they have a bunch of them, and it's like pretty dialed in. So that was also a huge show, and you got to work or see at least our old buddy Jim Parrick. Yeah. So just uh, sort of curious on your experiences, those. Yeah. Um, start with so Modern Family. I got. Oh man. A little long time ago now. We've been here for, for so long. Uh, I think it was in mm-hmm. the fourth or fifth season. Um, and we were... So this is a funny full circle thing. I th- we were at... We used to rent out this rehearsal space for Gibbons Tale. Like, deep, deep Van Nuys. Like, not a, not a, not a good place for anyone yeah. to be. Uh, but we would rent out that rehearsal space. It was meant for bands, so it was like insulated, soundproof walls. It, it was like we were putting ourselves into an insane asylum. Um, but yeah. Yeah. we we would rehearse for Gibbons Tale there, and I don't. I, we were either in rehearsal or there was no cell phone reception in there or something like. But I checked my phone after rehearsal, and my agents had been calling me for a while. <laughs> I called them back, like, hey, what's going on? I was like, oh, sorry, I was in rehearsal. Like, well, you need to answer your phone. Uh, you just booked Modern Family. And I just, you know, it was up to that point, and still one of the biggest things I've ever booked. And I just was just screaming joy on the freeway on the way home just this is awesome this is this is the coolest thing um and it was such a cool experience i had a really fun little part um i and i remember like walking to set it was a 20th century fox and they you know my call time was like it was later in the day. It was like 3 p.m. I got to set at like 11 in the morning because I didn't want to be late. And so I just <laughs> sat sat at the cafeteria for hours, just like jaw on the floor, wide eyes, just like, oh, my God, it's a movie set. This is so cool. <clears throat> and I like about this is about my time to be there. So I like got up and start walking and the scene uh, so Cam is throwing Mitch a surprise birthday party and he wants it to be Wizard of Oz themed and I'm I'm one of the flying monkeys that he hires for the birthday party. Um, and I'm walking to set and up above me, I just see this woman dressed as Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz just walking. And I'm like, oh, I should just follow her. <laughs> so I just, it was just like this... <laughs> kind of again just like this magical moment like oh this is such a cool thing and i got to set had a trailer again like 
a young actor. This, it was the coolest, coolest thing. Um, and I had a couple of lines, and we rehearsed it once, and then shot it. It was it's so quick. Mm. You're so used to. You're mm. so used to just like rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing and perfecting and yeah. you rehearse it once and we're shooting it. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. That's fast. Uh, and I remember like they had, we're doing the whole scene um, and I'm kind of sitting in the background for a lot of the scene and then I have my line. So the whole time the director is kind of like off in video village, isn't giving notes really at <laughs> at all they'd kind of worked everything out beforehand and it finally gets to my couple of lines and i oh um all good <laughs> uh it get finally gets to my lines and i'm just so pumped i'm so excited so nervous just all of these emotions just like bursting out of me and i like probably looking back i like screamed my lines <laughs> and director shoot shots cut at this point she had not stepped on the set she's staying in video village she walks over around the around the set very calmly this is gail mancuso right gail mancuso yes like famous worked on friends famous Huge sitcom director. directors yeah hadn't yeah. given hadn't given anyone a note all day very calmly very sweetly walks up to me and just goes a little less a little less and then very calmly walks back <laughs> dude you're very funny in this episode it yeah. was it was a lot of fun uh i heard later that uh uh, uh jesse tyler ferguson used that episode to submit to the emmys um so that was that was cool um, wow. Uh, wow. And then for 911 Lone Star, that was, again, this is like a, that was post pandemic. So all of auditions had moved to self tapes. So, you know, we've, I've got our setup in the living room of our apartment, got the backdrop up. We've got, Rowan or six month old baby at the time sleeping in the other room. Anastasia's helping me, and we're <laughs> it, it, it all it all kind of comes full circle. We're, we're doing we record a couple of takes and it's it's fine. It's it's okay. It to her credit, she's a great director. She gave me a couple of adjustments. Uh, kind of really brought it to life, and we're cracking up doing the scene. Um, it's, it's like, it was a, to give you some context, it was basically there's been a fire at this uh, marijuana grow house. Uh, I'm one of the cops that shows up and inhales all the smoke. So I'm, <laughs> I'm super baked by the time the firefighters get there. <laughs> so it was a really funny scene. And like, this is this is this is great. I got to I'm going to hit this out of the park. And it just wasn't working. And we worked on it for a while. And it, it finally clicked, sent it in, got it and another one of those really cool moments um just like incredible that's an whole speaking of levels that that set that production is a whole another level they i don't know how much money they spend on that show but it's apparent that it's a lot 
there's just full fire crews. They've got a fire fire blazing all day long. They've got water coming in. It's just they had this whole setup downtown LA, and it, it was a, such a a cool experience in that just seeing how much can go behind the scenes on one of these just like you know a network show it's not like a big budget movie but it's a network show with rob lowe so there there's a ton behind it and it was cool seeing that um and like you said our buddy jim perrick from playhouse west days is a lead on the show and i mm-hmm. i remember thinking like ah oh, he's not gonna he's not gonna remember me like why would that was years ago i was one of a couple of guys that he kind of knew uh and again this is towards you know it's pandemic where everyone's still wearing masks and everything so i show up i've got my mask on and we do the read through um and he kind of glances at me and doesn't say anything like, All right, yeah he doesn't remember it fine uh and later on we're like getting ready to do the scene so i take my mask off and he looks at me he's like oh harris <laughs> and it's like gives me a big hug just didn't recognize me <laughs> um so we talked so that was yeah. that was a cool thing in that you kind of start the longer you're here you start developing this community and network of people that you've worked with and um i think sometimes networking has a very dirty connotation but it it really just means that you have worked with a whole variety of different people and you can feel comfortable on this giant Fox television show set and that you run into someone that, you know, it's just, it was a cool kind of comforting feeling. Uh, even in the thick of this huge Hollywood production, I feel community. For sure. For sure. No, of course. Okay, there you are. All right, let's see. It says we're recording now. Great. So strange. I I see you Um, there. Yeah. Great. You have me. I also don't know why it's got this bit of delay. You're the first person that's ever been delayed. But, oh, good. We're figuring it out. Um, And we'll probably have to wrap it up now. And this has been fucking awesome to have you on, man. It's been awesome. It's been a true pleasure. (laughs) It's been really cool. I've really, really enjoyed this. And kudos to you for getting this going, man. This is... This is cool. It's a good, I think it's a good tool for a whole 
generation of actors that, you know, want to hear how the more the blue collar side of things go. It's not the A-listers are a big part of this industry, but there's a whole, there's a whole industry of people making this thing go that aren't, uh, you know, aren't the big celebrities. A hundred percent, man. And, uh, I'm proud of where we are and I'm not putting any limitations, not that you were or anything, but I think I used to be afraid of labeling myself like a working class or whatever, like just labeling myself. Cause then I'm like, not, and then I was like, you know, I don't even want this mega fame. Like, it's fucking brutal looking. So, mm-hmm. thank you. I want to do this again with you. This is just season one. And sort of just getting my feet wet to have, like, a casual but helpful <clears throat> discussion. And at the end of the day, it's super selfish because I'm just reconnecting with my friends and getting to ask them stories like, the details of like your move here, like we moved here together and I still didn't know that detailed of a storyline mm-hmm. on that. So it was very cool to hear. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, it was my pleasure to be here. It's great connecting with you too. Thanks man. So before we go, I just want to say I fucking love you, dude. And you're one of the best guys I know and an incredible artist and we didn't even get to touch on your incredible voiceover career so far and work and your stop animation, like pondering the puzzle. And I mean that, like, I love just your expression. You're not afraid to do things. You're trying stuff out. You follow what you love. And I've got nothing but love and respect for you, brother. So thank you for doing it. Well, thank you, man. 